Turn with me in your Bibles tonight to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. We'll read all six verses, even though we're really only going to focus on verse 1. If you'll follow along, please, as I read aloud, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the, in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Father, we ask you tonight to open our hearts to your word. We ask, Father, that uh, you would glorify and magnify yourself and your Son, the Lord Jesus we ask, Father, that you would help us to uh, be alert uh, to your word and whatever it is, God, that you have for each of us individually. Father, uh, help us now, God, to yield to you 100% and help us, Lord, to obey willingly and cheerfully uh, whatever you speak to our hearts about. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In its broadest terms, Psalm 1 is easy to understand. It's about the man blessed by God who is in contrast to the ungodly or those that are not blessed. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, blessed is the man. Verse 4 says, the ungodly are not so. It seems simple enough, but there are great riches available to any prospector willing to mine a little deeper into the details of the verses. You notice the first word in the chapter is blessed or blessed. You know, some people want to say that blessed means happy. My apologies to uh, my teacher, Dr. Ruckman, and his reference Bible and to Webster's 1828 dictionary I use and respect both books, but at least here in Psalm 1-1, I think assigning that definition to the word blessed would be a mistake. And here's why. Hebrews 7-7 says, and without all contradiction, the less, meaning lesser person, less in honor or authority, is blessed of the better, the better person in honor or authority. Therefore, the word blessed or blessed presupposes a blesser. I mean, you can't be blessed without someone doing the blessing, right? And that blesser is God, even if only by implication in this verse. If you say the word here, blessed means happy, happy is the man, 
then you really take away the need for God, the blesser, right out of the verse. You know the word happy appears 24 times in your King James Bible. I think if God wanted happy in verse 1, the Holy Spirit would have made sure the translators used the word happy. But he chose blessed. And blessed has a whole lot more meaning behind it than just happy. Check out Deuteronomy 28 sometime and see something of just the earthly blessings that God can bestow on those that follow and obey his word. And that's even before you consider all the eternal, heavenly, and spiritual blessings that God has for those who know him as Father and that love and obey him. I love our King James Bible because every word in it is just like God wants it. It's a God-breathed and God-blessed book. It's the book. Now, the blessed man of verse 1 is included in collective form in verse 5. If you look there, you'll notice the words, the congregation of the righteous. Then if you'll look in verse 6, you'll see in the simpler phrase, the righteous. And the blessed man is included in both those terms. By contrast, those that are not blessed are variously referred to as the ungodly four times, sinners twice, and the scornful once. They are never referred to in the singular anywhere in the passage, but always in the plural or as a class of people. It's interesting to note that in verses 1 through 3, however, God addresses an individual. Blessed is the man, singular. In verse 2, it's his delight, and he meditates. In verse 3, he shall be his fruit, his season, his leaf, whatsoever he doeth, always singular in these verses. And I think there's at least two reasons why we ought to note this distinction. <clears throat> First, verses 1 through 3 typify and are fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever I read through the Old Testament, I look for things that indicate the Lord Jesus. He's the Son of God, He's the Word of God, and so I look for Him. And He is the man, the man that is blessed. He's blessed in verse 1 as the Holy One of God, Mark 1.24, and the one who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, Hebrews 4.15. He never walked in the counsel of the ungodly, even when that counsel came from Satan himself in Luke 4, 4 through 13. He never stood in the way of sinners. He never sat in the seat of the scornful. In verse 2 of our text, no one ever delighted in the law of the Lord or meditated in it like the Lord Jesus Christ. He was and is the Word made flesh, John 1.14. He alone kept all the Word of God perfectly, saying of the law and the prophets in Matthew 5.17 that he, he was come not to destroy, but to fulfill them. And finally, in verse 3 of our text, the Lord Jesus is typified by a tree planted by rivers of water whose leaf shall not wither. The implication, of course, 
is enduring long life, and whose life is longer than the eternal Son of God. This tree also bears fruit in his season, and the Lord Jesus, through the redemption that is in him, has brought forth and is still bringing many sons to glory, Hebrews 2.10. And more, Christians are being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God, Philippians 1.11. Note lastly in verse 3, that the Lord Jesus Christ is typified in the phrase, whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Isaiah 53.10, a prophecy regarding the Lord Jesus, says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, Jesus, and he, God, hath put him, Jesus, to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Again, another of the great prophecies in Isaiah <clears throat> concerning the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6a and 7a, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son of give, is given. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. You don't get any more fruitful than that. So addressing the blessed man in the singular indicates that the first three verses typify the Lord Jesus. The second reason I think God speaks in the singular is because God is interested in you individually. If you're a Christian, a blessed man, woman, boy, or girl, you're not just one of a nameless, faceless class of people. You belong to Him, and He has a special regard for and relationship with you. May I say, He knows your name. He knows where you live. He never takes His eyes off of you. He never leaves you alone. He cares about every detail of your life, and He always thinks good toward you, both now and for eternity. Now, you and I may disagree with God sometimes about just exactly what our good is or ought to be here and now, and of course we're wrong when we do disagree with God. But truly, God cares more about your genuine welfare than you do. He knows the profit of His blessings on your life now. And He knows what will best make for your eternal blessedness and happiness and profit in heaven and in eternity. He knows that every one of His interventions into your life is worthwhile and necessary. Yeah, he unashamedly butts into your affairs, but if you're saved, you belong to him and they're really his affairs anyway. Sometimes God intervenes in your life to help, but sometimes he intervenes to instruct and correct you. No matter how much it might sting, hurt, even wound, crush, 
or drive you to the brink of despair. Some of you might think of a friend like that who needs enemies. <laughs> but the fact is that many of us are such rebels, so incredibly without discernment or understanding, and so in need of correction and instruction that God is forced into the most extreme measures to help us. Consider Job. Even though he was a just man in God's eyes, he still desperately needed to understand some things that he had not yet grasped. Unfortunately, we can be real wimps when it comes to hardship and suffering, even when we know that it's from God. And at times, we might actually doubt whether God really loves us individually and personally. May I say, don't go there. Truly, don't go there. If there's one bedrock in all of your reality, know that Jesus Christ gave everything on the cross for you. Because God knew you individually in eternity past and loved you in your sinful condition and was unwilling for you to be lost and condemned and punished forever. And He sent His own Son, Jesus, to die for all of your sinfulness and all your sins, to die as a substitute in your place and to bear all the wrath of God upon your sin that He might save you from death and hell and freely forgive all your sins and give you eternal life and adopt you into His family as one of His own children with all the royal privileges and standing that go with that. However, if you're not a Christian, Although God's redemption of you is born of His love and is free to you right now, it is not automatic. First, you have to believe God's word about your sinful, lost condition and who Jesus Christ is and what He did for you on the cross. Second, you have to decide to choose Him, Jesus more than your family, more than your job, more than your church, more than your feelings that you're good enough, that you'll make it, that you're not as bad as Joe across the street, because, all, because your all-time greatest need is to escape from death and judgment and hell because of your sins. And you must be truly sorry for your sins and want to receive Him by faith as your Savior from those sins, believing that His death and shed blood alone satisfied God completely for your salvation. Then finally, you have to confess these things to God in prayer and ask Him to forgive your sins and save you and give you eternal life. If you're not a Christian and you want to become one and be saved and you're watching by TV, 
Mute your TV right now. Don't put it off another moment. Talk to God in prayer, believing and be saved. Or if you have questions about salvation, contact Freedom Baptist Church, Auburn, New York, 315-253-6261. And talk to Pastor Dunbar. I know he'd be happy to answer any questions you might have about salvation. God cares about you individually. But it is the believer in Christ, the blessed man or the blessed woman, that enjoys the fullness and blessing of a personal relationship with God. Okay, let's return to our text now in Psalm 1, and let's get to the focus of the message. <clears throat> Verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now we'll spend most of the rest of our time here in this one verse. It's interesting that although blessed is, is positive, the way to blessing doesn't begin with positive things. It begins with negative things, with a list of things not to do. 2 Peter 1.5a says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To add virtue to your life in Christ, you have to both add good things that you should be doing and just as importantly, recognize and avoid evil things that you shouldn't be doing. And in Psalm 1.1, God puts avoiding the evil first. Notice some progressions in verse 1. First, motion declines. The progression is from walking to standing to sitting. At each stage, there's less movement and less effort expended. Secondly, there's a progression from general to, to specific, from counsel to a way to a seat. And then thirdly, from the ungodly to sinners to the scornful. And we'll see just how some of these progressions work as we go on in the message. Bringing it all together, the man blessed by God avoids the trap of gradual descent into wickedness. It's been said that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. The road to ruin is often gradual and can be very hard to escape. Most of you have heard the illustration that a a frog tossed into hot water will quickly jump out. But if the frog is placed into cool water that is gradually heated to boiling, the frog will boil to death without any resistance at all. Moral of the story, you have to recognize the peril of gradual ruin early. you got to see it early in order to avoid it. So it is in our verse... An average man or even a Christian has frequent contact with others in the world, some of which are ungodly, maybe on the job or at the store, hopefully not at church, but it can happen. Maybe just watching TV or even reading a book or a newspaper. And these other persons offer you some advice. The word is counsel in our text. Now in the Bible, God has spelled out pretty clearly what's right and wrong, 
good and evil, profitable and unprofitable. The thing about ungodliness, though, is that it's ungodly. It's not like God. It departs from or differ, differs from the way God looks at things. That means that there's one way to do it right, and that's God's way. But a million ways to do it wrong. What is it, you say? Anything. Satan doesn't care what way you choose for anything. What appeals to you? Just don't go God's way on anything. That's Satan's counsel. You don't have to vary much from God's way to get yourself into trouble either. Just a little. Off a little now. Say an eighth of an inch, using measurements as an example. And in a hundred yards, you're off by two feet. In a mile, you're off by a hundred yards. And you've missed your mark completely. Of course, the ungodly won't call their counsel departing from God. They'll say they're just free thinkers. They don't want to be put in a box. They're modern, not old-fashioned. Call it whatever you want to. The counsel of the ungodly is a disastrous, slippery, downward slope that is a gradual start to a long and unhappy road. Also notice that the man blessed by God doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's a little strange because you'd expect walking to be associated with walking in a way. And we'll look at a way next, but here, walking is associated with counsel for a reason. As a picture of the beginning of a downward process, walking is an expression of someone just living life, expending energy, doing all sorts of things, and along comes counsel, ungodly counsel. The counsel can be taken, and the person's course in life can be altered, or the counsel can be dismissed, or even just forgotten. The man blessed by God recognizes a deviation from God's truth and rejects it, doesn't walk in it, while the unwary person, the foolish person, the not blessed person allows himself or herself to be changed, maybe just a little, maybe just ever so slightly. The next step in the downward path toward ruin and away from blessing, a step rejected by the blessed man, is standing in the way of sinners. Sinners, those actively engaged in and seeking sin, they have a way. Dr. Ruckman was fond of saving, saying, birds of a feather flock together. Why saying? Just as Christians that love God and righteousness love to be in church, and in their homes with other like-minded believers, so sinners love to hang out with other sinners. Most sinners have preferred sins that draw them to others that enjoy the same sin. And most preferred sins have preferred places dedicated to those sins. You probably know the names of some of those places. Bourbon Street in New Orleans, Las Vegas, Nevada, and a host of other places. 
I've been to Bourbon Street in the daytime. I, I have. A group of students from Pensacola Bible Institute went to New Orleans before the Pope's visit a number of years ago to pass out gospel tracts. I thought the whole place, truthfully, smelled of vomit and stale alcohol. And I wondered when I was there why anybody would want to go there. Some of the other students decided to stay in New Orleans until after dark to pass out tracts when there were more people. But sometimes, as the old saying goes, discretion is the better part of valor, and most of us opted to leave the city before sundown. But the way of sinners doesn't have to be famous. Usually, every village, town, and city known to man has some place dedicated to wickedness. And everybody knows it, and either avoids it or is drawn to it. The blessed man, he avoids it. Why? Because it is a well-worn path to ruin and away from blessing, and it is a way of sinners. So, what does standing have to do with the way of sinners? Well, we've already noted that standing represents a decrease in activity, a reduction in the expenditure of energy. You observe an active walking person, but now they've stopped and begun just standing. But not standing just anywhere. Standing in the way of sinners. This is something that a blessed man would never do, because the blessed man knows that to stand in the way of sinners just looking and thinking is to invite debate. Debate within oneself. I wonder what that would be like. It doesn't look so bad. A lot of other people sure are going that way to that place. All the other kids are going there. The fact is that standing in the way of sinners even if you're not actively engaging in the sins of a particular place, but not walking away from it either, not doing anything good or profitable with your time, is usually an indication that debate is already going on in a person's heart and mind. This is a knowing choice about a known path and it's a step downward into ruin from the counsel of the ungodly. The counsel of the ungodly may have led here to the way of sinners, but standing in that way, considering it, ought to cause red flags to wave, the sirens in a person's heart and mind to go off, and horror and alarm to rise up with terror to scare anyone far from such a way. Proverbs 4, verses 14 and 15 say, Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. That's good advice. It's advice from God, and it's advice that will help you to be blessed by God. Well, we've talked about walking in the counsel of the ungodly and standing in the way of sinners. What about sitting in the seat of the scornful? This is the last stop 
on the gradual downward path of ruin, moving away from the blessing of God. Preceding it, the counsel of the ungodly has done its ungodly work of turning someone lost or saved away from the counsel of God and God's blessing. Also, standing in the way of sinners has done its terrible work, and the debate is over. The well-worn, ruinous way of sinners has become the individual's way. And we have arrived at the seat of the scornful. This seat is the most specific of things avoided by the blessed man. Here, one sits, relaxing, resting, expending no energy. The fight against wickedness has been given up. The individual's world has become much smaller. There are almost no other interests in life. Even civility, politeness, and friendship are gone. And the dominating characteristic of this poor wretch is scorning, mockery, belittling, pride, and arrogance. This is the place where wickedness is defended, propagated, and advocated, and where everything associated with the blessing of God is railed on and openly mocked. It is the terrible terminus of a terrible downward path that unrepented of ultimately ends in useless vanity. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Condemnation, verse 5, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment and death. Verse 6, the way of the ungodly shall perish. So, why would we spend all this time looking at just this one verse? And why all this negative stuff? Because as the old saying notes, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. If you know your enemy, where he is, how he operates, and what he'll do to you if he defeats you, you'll arm yourself with every weapon you can and fight to the death, not to lose the battle. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10a. And if you aren't moved by the weight of the words in Proverbs 4.14 4, and 15, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. And perhaps knowing the end of the ungodly, along with the fear of God and his judgment will move you. Then perhaps the very first word of the chapter, blessed, will take on a new meaning to you. God's blessings are rich and good and peaceful and profitable. And the man blessed by God receives his blessings when the deceitful downward slope is wisely, instantly, and urgently avoided. In conclusion, Stick with God's word and God's ways. Don't ever allow yourself to just stand and gaze from the vantage point of the sinner's way, debating about whether to flee or to try it out. Flee! Flee. And if you'll carefully avoid the first two, you'll never find yourself in the seat of the scornful, wondering how you got there.
why you ever stayed so long and bemoaning the horrible, awful cost you've had to pay with no end in sight. Choose God. Choose his blessing. Pastor?